Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Um, uh, for those that did not join us last weekend, uh, we took a, a brief break from a series we've been in for the last eight weeks, uh, and we talked specifically about the situation we find ourselves in with COVID. Uh, if you were not here, you didn't have a chance to, to listen to that, I, I want to strongly encourage you to go back and, and check it out. Um, we talked a lot about how we are going to appropriately respond to everything that's happening around us right now. We're going to live behind a shield called faithfulness. We're not going to forget that God's been faithful to us all along, and he's not done being faithful now. So I'm going to encourage you to go back and check that out. But today, uh, we're going to jump back into this series entitled Bewitched that we've been in. Uh, and if you're joining us for the first time, I'll catch up to speed. We've been studying through the book of Galatians, which is a short letter uh, that the Apostle Paul writes to a new church in Galatia, a very young church in Galatia, as they find themselves in a bit of a theological crisis. And uh, that term, bewitched, it comes from our key text in Galatians chapter 3, where the Apostle writes, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? For the meaning of Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Uh, let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Spirit by obeying the law? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And as a reminder, I know we took a week off, so let me jog all of our memories. The reason that the apostle is so frustrated here in this letter is because when he started this church, he started it under the pure gospel of God's grace. And we've talked a lot about that grace. We've talked about how we were called by grace, how we are saved by grace, how we are sustained by the grace of Jesus. It is by grace alone that we are saved. Romans chapter three, verse 21 says, now God has shown us a way to be made right with him that is not found in fulfilling the obligations of the law as was written by Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard, yet God looks at you and he looks at me and despite what we've done, he declares that we are righteous because of what Christ did on the cross for us. That is the simple nature of the gospel. We are made right with God because of grace, because we've placed our faith in the finished work of his son. And this was the gospel that the church was established in. But over time, these Jewish propagators began to come in and preach a different gospel. Paul calls it a perverted gospel, a gospel that suggested it was not just by grace. There was a law and some rules that you had to follow and some, some man-made ideas that were required in order for you to sustain your lifestyle with Jesus. And Paul comes in to correct that thinking and he says, guys, I'm going to bring you back to center, back to where we started this thing. It's all about that grace, about that grace, about that grace. Come back to the grace. And again, we've talked about that at length. If you missed any of them, you can go back. How to stand in that grace, how to walk in that grace, how to receive that grace, how to not abuse that grace. Uh, but today, as we get into chapter six of this letter, the last chapter in Paul's concluding words, which will, by the way, complete this series next weekend, uh, he dives into a different topic here that we're gonna discuss today. But as we go to this topic, I think it's important that we remember the overarching theme of this book. Yes, he is still talking about grace, and as we understand that this concept of grace is replete throughout the book, we also must understand that what he's talking about today 
is still taking place within the confines, within the context of grace. Meaning that even though we're walking in this dispensation of grace, we're on this side of the cross, this is an irrefutable law of scripture. And the law we're gonna discuss today is the law of sowing and reaping. This is what he dives into in Galatians 6. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 will be our key text for the day. Uh, And he says this, Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man or a woman reaps what he or she sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap corruption. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will, we will, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. That's the text we're gonna focus in on today. Paul begins to use these farming terms to describe an irrefutable spiritual principle, sowing and reaping, planting and harvesting. Uh, The world has a lot of different names for it. Some call it karma, some call it the law of reciprocity, but it finds its origin in scripture. It is the law of sowing and reaping. And Paul makes it clear right here. He says, God will not be mocked. In other words, God's not gonna remove himself from this principle and magically make everything work differently. No, this principle is going to take place whether you like it or not. He's not gonna be mocked. What we sow, we will ultimately reap. And so to that, I wanna give you a title today. It's not a very fun one, I'm sorry. I know that like I love the fun titles, but I just couldn't think creatively this week. So we're gonna call this one, The Truth About Seeds. The Truth About Seeds. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now to speak to us. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that it's alive and active. This is not an archaic book that we study for a history lesson. This is a book that every time we go to, we are not just reading it, it is reading us. So we open up our hearts to receive from you today. We want to hear, Holy Spirit, what you'd say to us. Let our ears hear, let them be tuned to to the voice of God today so that we can leave this place forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I think that most of us like the idea conceptually of sowing and reaping. I I think that for the most part, we understand it and we even celebrate it, especially when it takes place in the lives of other people. Um, Like, we like to see good things happen to good people, don't we? I think think sometimes, yeah, it just feels justified when good things happen to good people. Not not to bring the uh, Olympics back into a sermon, but allow me to do so once again, as I am an addict right now. Um, I love watching the backstories of the Olympians and seeing the, the life that these people have to live in order to, uh, in order to accomplish this goal of winning an Olympic medal. You know, the, the work that they've put in for years and some of these people for, for a decade or two have been eating weird diets and subjecting their bodies to incredible pain and they've got no friends except for one weird Russian coach that they hang out with all day long. Like, that's the extent of their life. They sow, they sow, they sow, they work, they work, they work. But then there's a moment where they stick the landing or the volleyball goes over the net and suddenly all of it becomes worth it. Everything that they've sown, they finally reap as they stand on that center podium and a medal is draped around their neck and their national anthem plays. It makes sense. And we celebrate that, honestly, regardless of what flag is on the shoulder. Well, most of us, I get a little mad, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) We like that idea. Good things happening to good, good people. But if we're honest, we kind of also like seeing the other side of this play out as well, the consequential side of sowing and reaping. I know that we're all like good Christians here and you're like, not me, but let's be honest. We also kind of like seeing like when bad things happen to bad people, right? (laughs) Like we like seeing when the bully actually gets beat up. Come on, somebody. When the cheater gets caught. 
We like seeing when the kid finally gets disciplined after his parents have kind of ignored it for a little while or when the parents get disciplined by someone because they never disciplined their kids. <laughs> True story, we were at Disneyland a couple years ago. My kids are like hanging on the bars and they come over and they hand us this little card. And I'm like, what is this? Oh, your kid's an idiot. Have them stop hanging on the bar. Okay, yeah. Like we all kind of feel a little justified when that happens. Or, or how about this one? Um, Anyone feel a little justified when like that person on the freeway is speeding through traffic and cutting people off and then like five miles ahead, you see him pulled over onto the side of the road with the highway patrol and you're like, yeah. <laughs> My wife and I were coming back uh, to the city a couple of weeks ago and uh, we're on highway 80 and there's one of those guys just like 95 miles an hour weaving through traffic, flipping people off, just going crazy. And, and the back of my head as he's driving by, I'm like, and I hope this joker gets pulled over by a cop. I hope he gets his car impounded. Nobody should be driving like that on the highway. About 20 minutes later, we're, we're coming up to, uh, to Emeryville and traffic backs up. And I just thought it was because we were coming to the bridge. But sure enough, uh, as we look to the, to the front of the line there, there's our boy sitting on the side of the road with a police officer. Only it wasn't because he got pulled over. It's because that guy crashed his car into the median <laughs> and it's all crunched up and it's facing oncoming traffic. And by the way, he wasn't hurt. I'm not celebrating his pain or he wasn't maimed on the side of the road. I'm like, yeah, like I'm not that heartless. All right. But I got to admit, as we drove by, I was like, <laughs> that's what you get, bro. I think in our flesh, we kind of celebrate this idea of sowing and reaping until its consequence plays out in our own lives, right? It's all fun and games until we start reaping what we've sown. Uh, nobody likes reaping after they've sown a lifestyle of bad dieting habits and not exercising. No, nobody likes reaping after they've gone into debt by overspending. Nobody likes reaping when they didn't study for the test and they get a bad grade or they get laid off because they were underperforming at work. No, no one likes the consequence of sowing and reaping. Yet despite its inconvenience, it is an unavoidable spiritual principle. We will reap what we sow. All the way from Genesis to the book of Revelation, here in Galatians chapter six, it is replete in scripture. Whatever we're sowing, one day we are going to reap. And the Apostle Paul, in brilliant fashion, he divides our sowing into two categories. He says, everything we sow can be summed up into one of two seeds, if you will. Seeds that please the flesh, as he says, or seeds that please the spirit. And each of these two seeds yields an inevitable harvest. The seeds that we sow in the flesh, he says, reap a harvest of corruption. In other words, everything that you plant in the flesh is ultimately going to produce something temporary. Everything you're building is going to burn. It's never gonna make it to eternity. But the seeds that we sow in the spirit, they have eternal lasting value. They carry with us beyond this life and into eternity. They don't just affect us, they actually affect, affect the lives of other people that will make it into eternity as well. Two very distinct categories. In perhaps a massive oversimplification, he distills the totality of our lives down to these two things. He says every action, every pursuit, every desire, if you really filter it, it's gonna fall into one of these two categories. You're either sowing to please your flesh, you're living for your own comfort, your own desires, your own pursuits, your own hashtag goals, or 
You actually care about what God says. You're living for him. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I've lost my life. I've crucified it. I'm moving forward with him. We get to choose which of these two seeds we are planting in. And whatever we choose will yield an inevitable harvest. So to that end, what I would like to do for the next 22 minutes is I would like to give you three truths about seeds. If this is what we're sowing with, I would like to look at three distinct truths about seeds. And following each of those three truths, I would like to ask you three very confronting questions, but all of it for a purpose. If everybody's sowing something and we're all gonna reap a harvest, I wanna make sure that we understand what kind of harvest is inevitably coming our way based on what we're sowing today. So to that end, numero uno, number one, numero um in Portuguese, D-E in Mandarin, I think. Okay, (laughs) number one, (laughs) seeds, was that right? I don't know. Does anyone speak Mandarin? Is that good? Yes. Thank you, Duolingo. All right. (laughs) Seeds always produce after their own kind. Seeds always produce, always produce. Emphasis on always. Always produce after their own kind. I know that's simple. I know that sounds a bit repetitive after what we just talked about. But I think it's an important truth that we have to remember. He said a man will reap what he sows. Nobody plants apple seeds and expects to get almonds on the other side of it. Nobody plants sunflowers and expects to get squash. And we all expect to get what we're planting. And you know what that tells me? We never have to be surprised about what's growing up in the gardens of our lives. How did that get there? It got there because that is ultimately what we planted. We put it there and it began to grow. So sometimes I sit down with people and I I hear people complain about what's happening in their lives and and, and they they question, how is this happening? Why am I still single? Why am I still broke? Why don't I have a job? Why is God punishing me? I hang out with very miserable people most of the time. Why, why, why? And sometimes I want to shake you and I'm like, because you planted that. God's not punishing you. That's principle. That's sowing and reaping. You are reaping what you've sown. Can we get a little honest today at church? Even if it's a little bit painful? Hey, you know why you're unemployed? Because you're sowing unemployable seeds. (laughs) You haven't put any applications in. You haven't sent your resume to nobody. You just hope that someone's going to magically stumble upon your LinkedIn profile and go, you know what I'd like to pay you half a million dollars a year to do your job. And even when you are offered a job, oh, but that doesn't pay enough money. It doesn't align with my passions. How about you get passionate about a paycheck and then you have a job, all right? Just throwing that out there for consideration. (laughs) Why am I broke? Because you overspend. You don't live on a budget. You buy stuff you don't need and you buy it on credit. And maybe you do live on a budget and you still don't have any money. Well, maybe you ain't tithing. And so God is not responsible for providing for all of your needs because you're not investing in the kingdom like he asked you to. Just throwing some stuff out there for consideration. Why am I still single? Because you're sowing single guy seeds. You're single because you're acting like you're single. Take a shower. Move out of your mom's basement. Stop playing video games. Get a job. Buy a new shirt. Go to Le Labo. Get a little Centile 33. Ask a girl out. Not troll her on Instagram. Actually ask her out. And maybe... I promise I'm a lot nicer than I'm presenting today. This is rare form. Therapy for me. 
oh, you can't be surprised at how it got there. We will inevitably reap what we sow. And let's get a little more personal with it. As if it isn't already. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're lonely because you're sowing seeds of isolation. Maybe you're insecure because you're sowing in comparison to other people. Maybe you're worried because you're sowing by ingesting fear and anxiety all day long. We, we can't wonder how we got there. We got there because that's what we're planting. But here's the beauty of this principle. It works both ways. Yes, bad seed will always produce a bad harvest, but guess what? Good seed is always gonna produce a good harvest as well. The other side of this is true. So if you sow in generosity, you will reap a harvest of blessing. If you sow in serving other people, you will reap fulfillment in your life. Proverbs eleven twenty five: he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You sow in faithfulness, you're gonna reap faithfulness. You sow in being a good friend to some people, you might reap some good friends in return. You plant yourself in the house of the Lord and Psalm 92 says that you will flourish in the courts of your God. This is an irrefutable principle. God will not be mocked. He will not negate the negative side, nor will he neglect the positive side of it. If you are sowing some good seed, you will inevitably reap a good harvest. We will reap what we sow. Seeds reproduce after their own kind. So let me ask the inevitable follow-up question. If seeds reproduce after their own kind, what are you sowing today? What are you planting in the little garden of your life? What seeds are you putting in there? Because remember, there's really only two categories. Are you sowing to please the spirit or are you sowing to please the flesh? Because here's another truth, also inconvenient, but true nonetheless. Seeds don't just reproduce in their own kind. They also reproduce in multiplication, both to the negative and to the positive. <laughs> if you plant an apple seed, you don't just get an apple popping out of the ground. You get a tree. And that tree's got a whole lot of other apples with a whole lot of seeds in it. That's why Jesus said, give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be poured into your lap. Whatever you sow, you receive back an increased measure. That's another sermon for another day. But whatever we're sowing, we're going to reap and it's gonna be massive. What are you sowing today? Number two. Numero dos. <laughs> Seeds are subject to their environment. Seeds are subject to their environment. In the same way that a natural seed requires certain environmental factors in order to grow, water, sunlight, good soil, so spiritual seed also requires certain environments that are conducive to growth. You, you could plant a very good seed into bad soil and it will not survive. Jesus, he tells this parable in Matthew chapter 13 about four different kinds of soil. He says, a farmer goes out and he scatters the seed and the seed lands on four different kinds of soil. It lands on hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, and good soil. And of those four soils, only one is able to receive that seed and produce a massive harvest. The hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, the seed gets choked out, it doesn't survive. But in the good soil, it goes down deep and it produces a massive harvest. The key to the parable is this. The seed was the same in all four of those soils. It was a good seed. It was the soil that determined, the environment that determined whether or not that seed had the capacity to grow. 
I think the reason that some of us might not be seeing a good harvest in our lives is not because we're not planting good seed. It's because we're putting good seed into bad soil. We're trying to see something good grow, but our environmental factors are not changing. And when our environmental factors are not changing, it's choking out the good work that God wants to do in our lives. Let me give you an example. We'll use our current plight. The Bible says that faith is also like a seed that is planted into our hearts. And faith can grow or faith can shrivel away. And maybe, like many of us right now, in light of all recent news, you understand how important it is to be in your word and to be in prayer and begin to declare the word of God out over the situation to build your faith. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you go, okay, if I'm gonna be a person of faith, I need to hear from the word of God. So, so let's borrow Psalm 91. We talked about that one last week. You wake up in the morning and you begin to read Psalm 91 out. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He's my God and I trust in him. You're gonna rescue me, Jesus, from every trap. You're gonna protect me from deadly disease. You will cover me with your feathers. You will shelter me with your wings. Your faithfulness is gonna be my shield and my rampart. I'm not gonna be afraid of the terrors of the night or the arrows that fly by day. I'm not gonna dread this disease that stalks all around us right now nor this disaster that's coming at midday. Though a thousand fall at my side and 10,000 are dying around me, these evils will not touch me. This is what your word says over my life. And so you read it out and your faith gets all charged up. You're like, yeah, come at me, devil. But then what happens? You take that seed and you begin to subject it to some toxic environments. You're all built up in your house in the secret place, but then your phone starts sending you all these alerts from your favorite news organization. And all the headlines start getting in your heart. And you start hanging around with some faithless friends and some faithless family members. And they start watering you with their negativity and with their pessimism and their fears. And, and you start scrolling through Instagram and everybody's opinion is making its way into your head, into your heart. And, and Facebook and then TikTok. And ah. suddenly Psalm 91 is a distant memory. What, what did he say about those feathers? Where are the feathers? I need the feathers. <laughs> what happened? You poured poison in the garden. You subjected a good seed to some bad soil. Faith cannot grow in a faithless environment. It requires the right environment. Where you sow is equally as important as what you're sowing. And faith is not the only one that we might need to consider today. In fact, I've made a list of good seed that cannot grow in certain soils. And maybe you might find yourself in some of these today, but write this down if it does. Purity can't grow in an environment of being unequally yoked. Freedom can't grow in an environment of self-imposed temptation. Devotion can't grow in an environment of disorder. Come on, your life can't be chaos and you expect to be devoted to something. There's some order that needs to take place if you're gonna be devoted. Harmony can't grow in an environment of hate. Worship can't grow in an environment of idolatry. Trust can't grow in an environment of secrecy. Humility can't grow in an environment of self-promotion. Confidence can't grow in an environment of comparison. And contentment can't grow in an environment of consuming. And then how about this one? Perseverance 
cannot grow in an environment of comfort. Let's talk about that one for just a second, shall we? Perseverance cannot grow when you're comfortable. You don't get stronger unless you put a couple of extra weights on each side of the bar. Discomfort is what brings perseverance. Let's talk about that spirit of self-care that seems to plague our society. This idea that I just need to work on myself for a little bit longer, only it's not a season of self-care, it's become a lifestyle of self-care. While you are so focused on becoming more and more comfortable in your own skin to the detriment of your spiritual condition without realizing it, your perseverance and your grit is being sucked out of you while you seek the comfort that this world has to offer. No, how about we lean into some discomfort and not run away from it? Discomfort is where perseverance is being forged. It's where men of God and women of God are being forged. We don't run away from it. We lean into it. We step into it and go, okay, I understand what's happening right now. I'm not gonna shrink back and look for the pink weights in the spirit. No, I'm gonna lift a little bit heavier. I'm gonna get underneath this thing. I'm gonna lead into discomfort because I wanna become the man of God or the woman of God that he has called me to be. Perseverance doesn't get to grow in an environment of comfort. Your environment matters. It's the difference between the good seed getting choked out or having the ability to survive. But as was the case with the last one, this principle also works on the other side. Just as good seed can't survive in bad soil, guess what? Bad seed can't provide in good soil either. Maybe there's some bad seed in your life, some stuff from your past hey, maybe we start to plant those things in the presence of Jesus. We plant those things in the word of God and we watch what happens. Hey, shame cannot exist in an environment of mercy. Worry cannot exist in an environment of worship. Insecurity cannot exist in an environment of affirmation. Guilt cannot exist in an environment of grace. Panic cannot exist in an environment of prayer. Depression cannot exist in an environment of praise because when we lift up the name of Jesus, the Bible says that his joy enters this space and suddenly I trade in my beauties for, my, for ashes, or excuse me, ashes for beauty. And my mourning for joy, I get to experience what his presence has to offer. Let me talk to some people that have sown some bad seed for some decades and maybe you're reaping the harvest of some bad decisions. No, you may not be able to control your past, but you can control the environment you subject yourself to right now. And if you drag some of that past into the presence of Jesus, come on, you drag some of those bad seeds into some good soil, watch as those things begin to shrivel up and die in God's good soil because it will not survive in his presence. Yeah. Just as good seed can't survive in bad soil, bad seed can't survive in good soil. So question number two, where are you sowing? Where are you sowing? Are you trying to plant some of this in some bad soil? It's not gonna survive. Your environment matters. And we have responsibility. We must take responsibility for our environments. Last one, number three. Seeds take time. Say that with me. Seeds take time. Genesis 8, 22. As long as the earth remains, there will be seed, time, and harvest. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Seeds don't grow up overnight. You can't get mad if you plant something yesterday and you walk out to your garden and you're like, what the heck? Where are my apples at? <laughs> it takes time. 
Some things take longer than others. And that's either really encouraging news or that is terrifying considering how you answered those last two questions. <laughs> because what you're sowing and where you're sowing, there is an inevitable harvest that's coming to pass, both good seed and bad seed. It just might be taking some time. Uh, Robert and I, we used to, we used to oversee this uh, ministry called Life Change at the church we came from. And I think we oversaw it for about seven or eight years and um, hopefully bringing it to the church here soon. But it was a two-day event where we would talk about hurts, hangups, uh, addictions, habits from the past. And the whole purpose of the retreat was to kind of talk about everything, like, hey, unforgiveness and wounds from your family and addictions and all the stuff. And the goal was to get that out so that we could fill you back up with the Holy Spirit and you could move in power uh, for the rest of your days. And we saw a couple thousand people go through those retreats. They were powerful, people getting set free and filled up with the Holy Spirit. It was, it was awesome. Uh, but one of the sessions that I taught every single time was the, the session on sexual purity for the men. And at the conclusion of the sexual purity chat, um, there was always an opportunity where the altars were open and men could come forward and receive prayer and honestly have an opportunity to share what was going on in their life. The Bible says in James chapter 5, confess your sins one to another so that you may be set free. It's the beauty of relationship with people. It's the beauty of honesty because when you get something out of that dark space and bring it into the light, it finally has the opportunity to experience some freedom. So these men would come forward and they would, they would confess and, you know, oh, oh, this is what's happening in my life and this is what I'm dealing with. And it was powerful. But every retreat without fail, one, two, three guys would come forward and they would confess to me that they had been involved in an affair, that they'd been unfaithful to their spouse. Uh, and it was always a weird conversation for me. It was really weird. This one guy comes up and he's like, you know, here's what's happening. He's like, oh man, I'm so glad I got that off my chest. I'm like, well, you know, you got to go tell your wife now too, right? And he's like, no, man, I told you. I'm like, we ain't married. <laughs> you didn't offend me. <laughs> he's like, man, I knew this retreat was broken. You know, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but as men would come and share this with me, I begin to notice a pattern in the, these, men's, these, these men's life and that was that they had forgotten this very simple principle of time, seed, time, and harvest. Here's how the story normally went. Started with a conversation and some flirtation and some texting, maybe a lunch date. And at some point, the guy stepped over the line and he chose to be unfaithful to his spouse. But then something interesting happened. Nothing. He went home. Wife didn't know, kids didn't know, life went on. And for a moment, it looked like he got away with it. And when he thought he got away with it, he's like, I can do this again. And so he did it again. And then he did it again. And then he did it again, because it seemed as though there was no consequence. But he didn't realize he was living in this space of time. And there was going to be a harvest for what he did, he just didn't know it was coming. This is an unavoidable principle. Yes, we will sow, but there will be some time before we see that harvest. And this is why the Apostle Paul tells us, do not grow weary when you're doing some good stuff. Don't grow weary in doing good for at the proper time the time that has already been determined by God, the time that he sees in his timetable that we don't, don't grow weary 
and planting good seed because there will be a moment if you do not give up, if you keep planting, if you keep sowing, if you keep watering, there will be a moment that you see a harvest on the other side of that planting. You cannot plant prayer. You cannot plant worship. You cannot plant generosity. You cannot plant serving without seeing an ultimate payoff at some point. You might just find yourself in the continuum of time between sowing and reaping. Let me talk to some people today that are still waiting for the job. You're still waiting for the spouse. You're still waiting for the breakthrough or the healing or the restoration or the freedom or whatever it is that you're waiting for. Do not give up. Do not grow weary in doing the good godly things. Paul gets it. He understands that it is, let's just be honest. It can get weary sometimes while we're waiting. God, how long do I have to keep praying this prayer before I see it answered? How long do I have to contend for that family member before they come to Christ? How long do I have to ask before I see breakthrough in this area? Yeah, it can get wearisome when you're doing good. But he's reminding us, you cannot sow without seeing a harvest on the other side of that. Don't get lost and tied up in time. So, Question number three, what are you planting? Where are you planting? How are you waiting? How are you waiting right now? Are you growing weary while you wait? Or are you waiting well? An almond tree can take up to four years before it produces its first almond. A pear can take five to six years before you see your first pear. A plum seven years. An apple, up to 10 years before the first apple shows up on that tree. But for a decade, there's a farmer who's watering and waiting and watering and waiting because he knows that if he waits long enough, there will be fruit on that tree. Do not grow weary. In fact, even before we conclude this sermon, I wanna pray over that real quick. I felt this in the first service. I feel it again right now. I know that there are some people here today that have been waiting for a long time for something. And you're getting tired in your waiting. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to breathe some fresh life and some fresh air into you today so that you can wait well. If you've been waiting for something, you've been praying for something for a while and you haven't seen breakthrough, would you just lift both your hands towards heaven right now? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the promise of your word. Thank you that your word says you are a debtor to no man. You will not be mocked with this principle. If we sow, we will reap. May we not get taken out in the space of time between sowing and reaping. You said that those who wait upon the Lord, you didn't say they'd get weaker, they'd get beat up. You said that they would find strength in you, that they would mount up on wings like eagles and they would soar. Father, strengthen every weak heart. Strengthen every mouth that has stopped praying because they've gotten tired of asking for the same thing. May we knock again. May we ask again. May we seek again. May we pray until we see this thing come to pass. And until then, God, may we maintain a faithful heart that says, I may not see the promise yet, but I trust the promiser. I trust the one who has said he will do it. And so I'm gonna faithfully wait. And may we wait in the presence God, I pray for moments in homes and cars and on walks where your nearness is so evident. 
where you say, hey, I know you're waiting for this thing, but I'm waiting here with you. I'm waiting with you in the walk. I'm waiting with you in the car. I'm waiting with you until breakthrough comes. We love you and we thank you today that you are the friend that sticks closer than a brother. You are the God that reaches into our pits and pulls us out. And we're gonna wait well. We're gonna wait well in you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah. What are you sowing? Where are you sowing? How are you waiting? Wrestle with those. Let those agitate you a little bit. Because there is a harvest on the other side of it if we do not give up. Last thought, band can come as we conclude. One of the things that I love about God is that he never asks us to do something that he didn't first do. He's really good at leading by example. And as we consider those three questions today, those are three questions that the father himself considered as well. In fact, Jesus goes as far as to identify himself the same way that the apostle Paul identifies what we're sowing. The totality of his life was distilled down to a single word. Jesus called himself a seed. Now the Bible says in John chapter 12, these are the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth, unless a seed is planted in the soil and it dies, it remains alone but its death will produce many new seeds, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Like a seed that has to be buried in the ground in order to produce a harvest, the Father sent Jesus to die, to be buried in the ground, in a garden, in a tomb. But he wasn't really buried, was he? He was planted. You, you bury something you never intend to unearth, but you plant something that you expect to produce a harvest. And the father planted Jesus because he knew that three days later, he would resurrect from a grave and there would be a harvest that all of us would get to experience. Look around you today and you can see the harvest that was produced by a single seed. It started with 120 people in an upper room. Then it turned into 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Then it turned into 5,000, not including women and children in Acts chapter four. And now, 2,000 years later, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of seeds have grown up to become a part of a harvest that started with a single seed that the father planted in the ground. But mark my words, he is not done reaping from that seed. There is still a harvest that is coming. Hey, let me remind every one of us, this is not the group of people alone that Jesus came to save. There will be thousands and thousands of people that will be harvested in the city of San Francisco and in the greater Bay Area that are not sitting in this room and not sitting in other churches yet. There is still a harvest coming. Some of them sitting inside this very box, onside some cards that we have written on, just in seed form at the moment, but we've begun to water them in prayer and water them in intercession and water them in worship. And many of the names from your family, friends, coworkers that you've surround yourself with, they sit in this box, but they're not gonna stay buried in a box. They will turn into a harvest of souls that Jesus gave his life for. They're still in seed form, but a harvest is coming. And if it feels like a whole lot of time is passing and you're wondering why, there's a reason that the Lord is tarrying right now. There's a reason we're not all swept up and sitting in heaven today.
Second Peter says that a day is like a thousand years to God and a thousand years is like a day. And he is not slow in accomplishing his promises as some would consider slowness. No, he is being patient because he is not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to eternal life in him. In the time, there's a harvest that's being produced. And at the first service, there were four or five seeds that turned into a harvest. I believe today there's people sitting in this room today. And the reason you're here is because the Lord is planting you into his family so that your life can be a part of that harvest. It's time for you to take the entirety of your life, stop planting these, and plant yourself in the family of God so that you can begin to produce eternal life. And I wanna give you that opportunity today before we close. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you're far from Jesus and you know the Holy Spirit is drawing you right now, you sense him tapping on your heart, saying, son, daughter, it's time to come home, time to get things right with me. I wanna pray a very simple prayer with you. Before I pray that, I always like to ask if you'd be bold enough to identify yourself and here's why. All week, every Sunday after I, see the hands and the faces all week long I pray our team prays for those that have made this decision and I want to I want to have your face in my mind as I'm praying for you as you get started on this journey maybe you've been far from God for a while or maybe you've never drawn close to him but today if you know that you need to get close to Jesus get yourself planted in his kingdom would you quickly lift your hand up and look at me so that I know who I'm praying with this morning thank you got you in the back awesome yeah yes 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 yeah I got you up there awesome Awesome, right over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. All right, I'm gonna say a very simple prayer. You can just repeat it in your heart right after me. You don't need to say it out loud. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you that you were buried in a grave and resurrected. You gave your life so that I could find life eternally. I give you my past. I give you my sin. I give you all that I am today. Rescue me. Plant me in your kingdom. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways from this moment forward until the moment I see you in heaven and you look me in the eye and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. I love you. You have all of me. May I have all of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we just thank the Lord for every one of those people who lifted their hand today? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.